Welcome to another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love, hosted by Richard Osler. My guest on today's podcast is my friend Pam Lyman. Welcome to the podcast, Pam. Thank you, Richard. Really glad to have Pam here in my home. I'll give a little bit of background on Pam. Pam is a married mother of four boys, and she lives in Portland, Oregon, an area called Hillsboro, which I'm familiar with, beautiful area of Portland. She is here in Utah visiting family. Um, but Pam is married. Her husband, Matt, serves as a bishop in the Portland, in that Hillsboro area. He's been serving for about four years, and they have four sons, ages 20, um, 18, and twins at 16. But we're going to talk about her son, Conrad, who has what's called, tell us what he has. It's called Angelman Syndrome. Angelman Syndrome, and I have not heard of that And when Pam and I first connected, so we'll learn more about that. But this is a podcast um, really talking about raising children that have what Pam calls, instead of a disability, different abilities. And some of the questions we're going to go through, what's it like having a child with different abilities, and when and how was Conrad diagnosed, and um, what do you want others to know about raising a child? And and what are Conrad's gifts and abilities? And also, what do you wish you knew um, then that you know now? So those of you that are raising a child with different abilities, whether that's em- medical or emotional, those of you that have children with different abilities in your congregations, in your families, in your circles, I have a hunch that Pam will have insights that will help you know better how to meet the needs of families. And if you're a parent, and maybe in particular a mom, whose sort of whole world changed when she got this diagnosis, I think Pam, since she's been on this road for 16 years, will have insights that will help you. Pam is Canadian. I'm fond of Canadian people. Um, She went to BYU-Idaho, served a mission in France, and BYU-Idaho is where she met her husband, Matt. And um, she's speaking for both of them today. Matt is not able to join us. He's home with Conrad. Um, We're grateful that Pam's in my home. How does that sound for an intro, Pam? That sounds really good. Pam's oldest son's name is Ben. Our youngest son is named Ben, so we, our families just kind of barely overlap there. Um, let's start with anything you want to, anything you want to just share before we get into any of these questions. Um, I'm just really happy to be here. I'm really happy for this opportunity, and I hope that I can articulate for myself, but for you know the the community of people that we are that that are raising these special humans. And um, I hope that I can do that well. We, You'll do a good job. And Pam and I said a prayer, and Pam's got a really tender heart. Um, and obviously this is very close to her heart, and I sense Pam is just tender soul, um, very aware of people that have harder roads. Um, let's talk about, you've had Ben came along, and Ben's roughly two years old, and Conrad comes along, and just share with our listeners the journey of recognizing that Conrad has different abilities. Yeah, so when Ben was born, you know, we were very excited to have him join our family. We were 
excited to be parents. And Ben was one of those kids where he did everything fast. He learned to walk fast. He learned to run fast. He was the busiest, busiest boy. And it was really fun just being his mom and just being with him and, um, you know, just learning to be a mom with him. And when Conrad came along, I remember the day that I went into labor with him and I completely lost my mind because I thought there's the sleepless nights that are going to happen. I'm not going to have the same relationship with my oldest with Ben because there's going to be another child that's going to be taking my attention. And so that was a little bit stressful. And throughout the pregnancy with Conrad, I had felt something's going to be different. And I just kept thinking, oh, it's going to be because it's going to be because you're going to have two children. And of course, that's going to be different right off the bat. And so I just thought, oh, that's just what it is. But I kept having this nagging feeling and it wasn't a bad feeling. It was almost like a preparation feeling. You, you need to be prepared. This is going to be different. And I just kept thinking, oh, it's going to be because it's going to be two kids. And I've heard that I'd heard that that would be different, you know, going from one to two. So I, I ended up, um, we went into the hospital. My mother-in-law came down and watched Ben. And I'll just tell you the whole story. Anyway, um, so we were in the hospital and I got, was very, very sick in the hospital. And I hadn't had that experience with Ben. And so I was really sick. My blood pressure was low. And I, um, I kept throwing up. And they were worried about me. But they weren't worried about the baby. They were worried about me. Finally, I ended up um, being able to have him push him out. And I had this really, I didn't know that I was going to share this, but I'm going to share it. Sorry. Conrad was really excited to be in the world. And it only took a couple pushes to get him out. But the moment that he... Sorry. The moment that... That he entered the world... There was a woman. I didn't see anyone. But I felt this very strong female presence and it was almost like I knew this person but I I still don't know who it was I have some ideas as to who it was but um I just felt this presence of this woman who nothing was said but I just felt this this child is a gift and I'm entrusting you Sorry, sorry, listeners. <laughs> anyway, I'm, I'm entrusting you with, with this child. This is a special soul. And then it was gone. As soon as I held him in my arms, it was like she passed him to me. And then life happened, and it was busy. And Conrad, with kids that have Angelman syndrome, they don't, they don't sleep they don't make melatonin, and so they have a major sleep disorder. And it gets a little bit better as they get older. He's a little bit better, but when we travel, it's horrible. We have to give him strong medication so that he will sleep 
at night. So for the first three years of his life, he hardly slept at all. And it was brutal. It was brutal. And he, he has a very strong connection to his dad. And so I would be up in the middle of the night and Matt had a really busy job where he would have to be up early in the morning. So the only way that Conrad would even get any bit of sleep was he would, I would put him with his dad and he was instantly calm because I think Conrad could feel my anxiousness of he's not sleeping and why is he not sleeping? How, what am I doing wrong? And so uh, he would, he would settle down with his dad and around six months, I started to notice different things with Conrad. I started to notice that he he had zero interest in sitting up. He had zero interest in holding things. He had zero interest in um, doing anything that Ben would have done at that age. He didn't want to hold his bottle. He didn't want to roll over. And he was really stiff. And you know how when you hold a baby and they like to stand up? on your lap. Well, Conrad never did that. He was always like in a little ball and his muscles were always tight. And so I thought, well, that's really strange. And so I talked to Matt a little bit about it and said, you know, what do you think about this? And he's like, oh, you know, it's fine. It's just Conrad. That's just how he is. And we don't need to worry about it. And then Ben had his two-year well baby check. And I took Conrad, Conrad with me to take him to the well baby check. And um, I talked to the doctor about it. I said, I have some concerns about Conrad. I have some concerns. He's, you know, not doing these things and I'm worried about it. And he said, well, come back um, in a week when Conrad's well baby check is because Conrad would be a year. And so I went back that, um, that next week and my doctor was an old... Jewish man who was just the loveliest man and he was actually Matt's pediatrician when Matt was a little so that was kind of fun but he had these I just remember him taking Conrad in his big hands and turning him around and just looking at him and having him try to stand and just really discovering who he was and I didn't feel judgment which was nice I just felt he's really trying to figure out what's going on here and I said this word that I, you will never hear me say except in this situation. I asked him, I said, but he's not retarded, right? And he said, well, he is in because he's behind, because he's not meet, meeting some markers. And so that was a blow because, you know, there we have these charts and things that we follow in life for kids, you know, kids should be doing this at this age and they should be doing that. And Conrad wasn't doing any of those things. And so then you feel like your child's broken because they're not doing those things. And that's really hard to think someone else thinks my child's broken. And what does that mean? So they have a hospital in Portland called Dornbecker and it's a beautiful hospital for children. And so we set up an appointment to go up there. But before we did that, we went to see a neurologist. And Conrad had an MRI. And then the the, the um, neurologist promptly went out of town. And so I wasn't getting these results. So I was waiting two weeks for the results of his MRI. So finally, I called the hospital. 
And they said, oh, well, he's on vacation. And I said, well, I need to know the results of this MRI. And so they said, oh, well, I'll just read it over the phone. I was like, okay. So they read it and they said, we haven't found anything. Everything's normal. So I thought, okay, well, that's a good sign. But I just knew that something wasn't quite right with him. And I just didn't know what it was. So at Dornbecker, they have a, a floor dedicated to kids with different abilities. And you go through this whole, it's a whole morning. It's like six hours long where you have these appointments with a pediatrician, an occupational therapist, a um, neurologist, vision, hearing, and physical therapy, which I might have already said. Anyway, so we do that. And we go through each of the different sections and you want your child to do well and you want them to show off. You know, you want them to show what they're doing and that they're doing it well. And um, they have these notes and they, they're taking notes on your child. And so you're worried because they're testing your this child. Scary, yeah. yeah, it was pretty scary. So at the end of those, I think it was like five and a half hours, almost six hours where we went to all those different disciplines, they came to us and said, the woman who was in charge, she said, okay, we're all going to get together. We're going to talk about our findings. You guys go have lunch and then meet back in 45 minutes. And we're like, okay. <laughs> so we went, we had lunch and we were sitting down eating lunch and I couldn't really eat. And I was talking to Matt and I said, well, what do you think they're going to find? What do you think it is? And he just really felt strongly that they weren't going to find anything. And he just said, Conrad's just Conrad. He's just at his own pace and he's going to catch up. And I felt bad. I felt bad for Matt because I thought your world is going to get rocked because I knew that something wasn't right. I knew that we were going to learn something that was going to change our lives. And Matt's an eternal optimist. He wakes up happy. He's just... You know, he's just a ray of sunshine. Everyone just loves him. He's fun and he's a big guy. And I just thought, oh, this poor man, like, this is going to be tough. So I felt like I had to be strong for this thing that was coming. So we went back, we went into this room and we had all of the disciplines there and they had their papers and they said, we feel that your son has something called Angelman syndrome. And none of it, I had never heard of it. Matt had never heard of it. And so they... They said, well, this is what it is. Um, it's a deletion of your 15th chromosome. And depending on how big the deletion is, is how affected your son will be. So then they said, you need to go and take a DNA test. So we took Conrad down and they took his blood. And then we had to wait another week for the results of that. It's actually kind of cool. They they light up your, your blood, your DNA, and then they can see your chromosomes. And then they see where it's deleted. And so then you go back. We went back two weeks later, and in the meantime, I'm on the internet, and they told me, don't get on the internet, don't start looking, because we're not, we're not positive that this is what it is. We're pretty sure, but it's not 100% until the, we get this DNA test back. So we go back, and we meet with this genetics team, and that was one of the hardest experiences of my life. Because we walked in, and it was this older woman who who had absolutely no feeling towards our son at all. She, he was a scientific experiment. 
and they walked in and they started talking to us. They showed us a blow up of Conrad's DNA. They had circled where the deletion was and they had told us before we got there, come with questions because you're, it's going to be a hard appointment and you're going to have questions and you probably won't remember what they are if you don't have them written down. So the night before Matt and I had sat and I had all these questions and I already knew all the answers. Like Conrad's not going to have a job. He's not going to get married. He's And then um, not, not knowing what we know now about Conrad and his abilities, the, the only question I wanted answered was, will he know that we love him? And this woman, this geneticist looked at me and she said, no, he will never know that. And my world completely spiraled. We were in this tiny room with no window and the door was closed and there were three people plus us and I felt like I was underwater and I was drowning and the world was spinning really fast and really slow at the same time and I started to hyperventilate and she just kept talking and I just I couldn't look at Matt because I knew if I looked at him he would lose it and one of us had to be strong and then they, um, they just kept talking, and they didn't offer us water or Kleenex or anything. And they just kept wow. talking about this child that wasn't really a child to them. It was just this, oh, this, this child has Angelman syndrome. And it was more of like a, like a specimen than a human being. And then the woman left the room, and... There was a her assistant that was left, and she wanted to do some measurements of Conrad because kids with Angelman syndrome they tend to have a smaller head, and um, she wanted to do some measurements with his head size and um, some other things, and just the way that they were holding him was not even like they were holding this precious child, and that was really that was hard. That was really hard. So that was our introduction to, you know, you have your son has Angelman syndrome. I'm thank you for just being so honest with our listeners about this difficult. Ex, you know, you go from a well baby check where your mother heart recognizes something doesn't feel right here to that experience, a diagnosis and a, and that experience. Um, that's really painful. And I'm contrasting the the birth experience you had with this female presence there letting you know that this you know the contrast with this beautiful perfect little boy loved by his heavenly parents being trusted to you because he's this unique um wonderful special spirit and and that spiritual experience and then the eyes of this woman who's clinically trained and doing maybe the best she can but lacks sort of the vision of who this child is and and 
my feeling is he knows you love him. And maybe you'll talk about that in the podcast and that what she said through her eyes is was maybe the what she thought was the right answer, but without the eternal perspective, with the gospel perspective and with the complete understanding doesn't, you know, did not give the correct answer there. Um, that's a brutal experience to go through. I, it's like going through all the stages of grief because mm-hmm. when you're recognizing the night before some of the things you said, my child won't marry, we have these hopes for children that are just dashed. You're going through all these stages of grief and a really quick time um, that's really painful. So just keep sharing your story. You could talk about, you know, what it, what you want others to know about raising a child like Conrad, but I think there's even a question before that. It's um, what it's like to have a child with different abilities. And was that your idea instead of to label him as dis- with disability to call him different abilities? Just share with our listeners that road. Yeah, we, um, it wasn't my idea, but we always would call him special needs because special needs, people know what that means. They're like, okay, he's special needs. So it's a narrative that people can wrap their head around instead of saying, well, my, because Conrad also doesn't talk. So kids, people with, I'll just talk a little bit more about Angelman. So kids with Angelman syndrome, and it's all across the board, um, but a lot of their similarities are they have a sleep disorder, they have um, epilepsy, they um, have difficulty walking, and um, their fine motor skills are very limited, and um, Conrad doesn't talk at all. And so one of the things that um, this wonderful woman um, in Australia, she we call her the Angelman Whisperer. Anyway, she's they call she does a lot of communication, um, learning how to get your child to communicate, and it's it's a really complicated system called POD, Pragmatic or I can never I remembered the the acronym, but it's it's basically a big book that has different pictures in it. And then you, so you say you're going to, you want to drink. So you point to the drink and then you go to the page and then it has these different pictures of, well, what do you want to drink? But Conrad's just super not interested in it. He's like, I could not be bothered. And the wonderful thing about Conrad is that you know immediately what he likes and doesn't like and what he wants to know and doesn't want to do. He has very strong opinions. And he's stubborn, but he's also very determined when he wants to do something. So we also like to say that he's, people say, well, he doesn't talk, so he's nonverbal, but that's not true because he's very verbal and he communicates beautifully. It's just people need to take the time to figure out what it is, you know, and um, I was listening to this wonderful podcast and with a woman who's, she was talking about her daughter was diagnosed and um, we were talking, she was talking about how um, back to what I was talking a little bit about charts and how, you know, we have this, these spectrum of charts where kids, um, you know, at this age, they should be doing this at this age, they should be doing this. And so it's a great barometer for, for people who need services. So if your child is not reaching these milestones, then what's, what's wrong? 
What could we do to help them? And so it's great for that. But then it's also this other side where, but my child's not doing that. Well, why aren't they doing that? And then the world looks at them like, oh, well, your child's broken because my child's doing that, but yours isn't. I remember being sort of disinvited from a from a play group at church, and there was a bunch of women. I had, they had a they all had kids the same age as my son Ben at the time. I think they were four or something, and then some of us had babies. And but I just got disinvited. Wow. They didn't want me there with Conrad, and it was so. It was like, well, I'm not broken. I'm not, you know. When your child has a disability, it's almost like your your family has a disability. And so people are either, you, you really find out who your friends are, for sure. Because you find out who, who really wants to know you and get to know your child and loves you no matter what. And then you find out who people are either very uncomfortable around you because they don't know what to do. And so they don't do anything. And that's the worst thing you can do. Because you, that's when you need people. You need a village. You need people to surround you with love and figure out what you want and, you know, just buoy you up. And, and, and people tended to run the other way. I had very few friends that I could really lean on at that time in his early diagnosis. And that was tough because I was really alone. I... I I really, my friend was Heavenly Father and the Holy Ghost because I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to help him. And there were no, they, when we got diagnosed, there were no books. There were no websites. There was no, they gave us a, like a triple fold um, um, brochure about Angelman syndrome that told us nothing. It basically said, these are all the things that your kid can't do. These are all the things that your kid's never going to do. And then they leave. And then you leave. And so you're left, okay. So you have to figure it out all on your own. And now there's so much more help for kids with Angelman. Because Angelman syndrome was only discovered in 1985. It's really recent. And it's like 1 in 20,000 people that have it. So, um, you know, it's, it's new. And people don't really understand it. And, um, yeah. It, it, that, um, pretty honest about the playgroup being disinvited. And I wonder why we do that at times. And I, it, it, you know, we just need to do better. You know, I let, you said something interesting. You said it's like our whole family had a disability. And, and I don't know if it makes me emotionally uncomfortable to be around somebody with a disability, and I just don't want to deal with that in my framework or no. But it's a sign of perhaps emotional immaturity on my part if that's the way I respond versus my responsibility to recognize that you have great need to be a part of that play group and you need the support group and you need questions, people to ask you questions. I like your point. The worst thing you can do is not talk about it. The best thing you can do is is ask questions like, you know, what does it feel like to be a mother with a child? How are you doing? What can I do to help? Mm-hmm. So, and in our church community, we need to have that be the balm of Gilead. We do better at ministering to families with some, you know, 
things than others. You know, physical illness, I think, is something we are, there's not a lot of stigma with physical illness, maybe some physical illnesses more than others, but Mm -hmm. we sort of accept a medical diagnosis and we know how, and maybe we don't do that perfectly, but it seems like some of these other areas where LDS families have other needs going on, we don't know fully how to help them and help them feel the balm of Gilead. And sometimes we pull away at the times where our families need their our faith communities the most. And you felt some of that. Yeah, I really did. And it was really disconcerting for me in the LDS community where you would think when we have this sort of eternal perspective of, you know, we come here, we get a body and then we die and then one day we'll be resurrected as perfect. And I just, I couldn't wrap my head around people. I mean, Conrad's whole, he's not broken. He's exactly who he's supposed to be. And, and I heard this great, um, this woman was talking about her her daughter who was diagnosed and she was talking about Genesis and I didn't have time to look this up, but um, when God has finished creating and he creates man and you know the, everything and then he says, God sees it is good. And if we think about it, everything that comes to earth, no matter what form it's in, is good because God created it. And so that's given me a little bit more perspective and um, you can't, you can't control how other people are going to react. You know, it's, but you can teach them. And also I think Matt and I've done a really good job of, um, quote unquote, normalizing our life. And I think some people have said that we make it look so easy because we're like, Matt and I are kind of in this dance now where we have it down with Conrad, you know, we anticipate his needs right away or, you know, and, and, and he, so we're just there. It's not like Conrad's out and, Oh, we didn't anticipate him falling, you know, so people don't see those things because we're just there. And so I don't know if it's that. So people don't, I don't know. It's a hard, it's a hard thing to, to be a member and, and have members not want to be around your child because it makes them uncomfortable. And, and I'm not going to, it makes me sad because I think that they're missing out on something really beautiful and I can understand their uncomfortableness. I I get it because there's things that make me uncomfortable about other people. And, but then you just have to push through and figure out, why is it making me uncomfortable and what could I do to make it not uncomfortable? And, and I'm an open book people. I, I'm not afraid to like, if I'm in the store, for example, and Conrad's a big kid, he's just a little bit taller than me and I'm five, eight and a half. So he's about five ten, and he's heavy. He weighs about one ninety probably, but he still rides in a stroller because he, he has really bad, um, he, he had surgery a couple years ago on his ankle to fix, um, his foot was turning under. And so we did surgery and we did the worst case scenario surgery where they had to cut the tendons and then they put in pins 
to hold it. But because kids with Angelman, their their muscles are so tight, it went back. And so it would be an eternal, we'll do the surgery again and see if it works. But we're not going to do that because it was brutal. That I mean, four months, and he couldn't put any pressure on his foot. And, you know, I can't just scoop him up. You know, he. I need if he's on the floor, you know, I need both of his legs to be on the ground so that I can pull him up. And he couldn't even do that. So it was, it was brutal. So he goes in a stroller and I'll go to the store and he'll be in his stroller. And it's just normal for me. I'm with this 18 year old kid in the stroller and lots of little kids will watch and stare because they're trying to figure out, well, why is that kid in the stroller? I'm not in a stroller. He's bigger than me. And you can see their little brains turning. And some kids will ask me, or ask their mom, why is that kid in a stroller? And what happens is the mother is like, oh my gosh, she's so interesting. Just like so ashamed that her child said that. And I'm like, oh, it's fine. And then I'll just say, you know, this my son has Angelman syndrome and he has difficulty walking. And Good. you know, he does have a wheelchair as well, but he really likes this stroller. And look how cool it is, because it lays back, it he can lean back in it, and he's got a footrest. And Conrad is, we always joke that he was born in the wrong era because he acts like a Roman pharaoh. He acts like <laughs> just can you just bring me some grapes and fan me? And like he just is very leisure. He's leisure man. And he's just that's just who he is. So we always joke that he's, you know, he should have been a pharaoh or something, because he just he likes people bringing him things and, you know. I love the grocery store and story. And I often, yeah, I might respond the same way as a parent, but I recognize your answer is destigmatizing that conversation and destigmatizing. And it's just the facts of the situation. You have a son in a stroller and it's perfectly fine to ask why. Mm-hmm. And you're, you're, an open book, you're willing to, for someone who just has a sincere interest to understand and doesn't have an agenda, you just are fine answering that. Mm-hmm. And it's, and I like that. Um, you know, I just talk about um, what, here's another question for you. What do you want others to know about raising Conrad? This might be you talking to parents that are new raising a child um, with a disability. So the first thing I would do is find your village. Find your village, which means, you know, my family is my village, my immediate family, my husband and my kids. And then, you know, you have your extended family, but then you also have your community, the people where that live around you, and then your church community, and then, you know, your school community. But what you really need to do is find... So when Conrad was first diagnosed, I went in search of um, a book that I could read about people's experiences with raising a child with Angelman, and there there weren't any. Did you know that I wrote a book? No, tell our listeners. So you can't find it. It's very expensive on Amazon because the publisher went out of business because they were embezzling. So you can't get my book right now, but... Ouch. Ouch. I know. So anyway, so I I wrote this book, and this isn't a plug for my book, but what I did was I I just gave the I gave people what I would have wanted, which Perfect. was a book about raising a child with 
with particularly Angelman syndrome. So I have all these essays from people all over the world. And mostly our, our, um, our stories are the same. You know, it's so hard. Your whole world changes. And, and it sucks. And it's hard. But it's also beautiful. And there's, there's things that I probably never would have learned if it hadn't have been for Conrad. For, you know, I mean, how many people can say that they get to serve someone their entire life? That someone gets to be served by someone else their entire life? And when you think of it like that, it's, it's beautiful. But it's also really hard because, you know, service is not always fun. And we have to. We don't have the choice of not. Like, Conrad, he can't bathe himself. He can't feed himself. He can't change himself. He can't get dressed on his own. He can't drive anywhere. He can't order something for himself. So everything to be a human, he needs help with. And so that's us. That's what we do every single day of our lives, of his life. And like the other night, uh, we went out for dinner with Matt's brother and his kids and our kids. And um, Conrad was really thirsty and I had a Diet Coke, but I wasn't drinking it. And Conrad got a hold of it. And this was like at 830 and he drank the entire thing. I was like, oh, he likes Diet Coke. That's great because I love Diet Coke. But then that night, he would not go to sleep. And Matt was like, why isn't he going to sleep? Because we gave him, he takes, when he's traveling, we give him heavy medication to sleep because he doesn't sleep. And um, the next day I was like, oh, that was my fault. He had Diet Coke. (laughs) So now we know we can never have that unless it's like early in the morning. So, you know, that was really hard because Matt was tired and I was tired but he wouldn't get in his bed and he has to sleep in an enclosed bed. And my sweet father-in-law who lives here in, in um, Utah, I wasn't going to come on this trip because I just thought Conrad has like this tent bed that he can sleep in, but Conrad's a big kid. And unless he's going in there just to sleep, he can't really sit up in it, you know? And so I thought, Oh, I don't know if we're going to do that. And, So I kind of went back and forth. I'm going to come. I'm not going to come. And then I just thought, why don't I ask John to make a bed? He's a carpenter. He makes stuff all the time. And so he made a bed for Conrad and he calls it Conrad's cabin. But so Conrad knew that that was his bed. He got in it the first night. It was great. But the next night after the Diet Coke incident, he was like, no, I'm not. So those things are really hard because you can't reason with him because there was no way he was going to go to bed. Because he was wired. And I hadn't made the connection as to why he was so wired. So you have to be really in tune with everything about your kids. And with, because he can't tell you. What would you say, you're doing such a good job, Pam, on this podcast. Our listeners just hearts go out to you. What would you say to parents that are just coming to terms with a younger child that this is going to be their journey, that every day they're going to need to feed, dress, that that the independence that comes with kids as they naturally age up is never going to happen with their kid. And just 
and they can maybe say, I can handle a day or I can handle a week of this, but I can't imagine doing this in the next two decades that you've you've been doing it 16 years and, and, and you have a long road ahead of you. I'm not sure how this, you know, there's no really end in sight. There's no, you know, you know, Pam, um, what would you tell someone who's just received this diagnosis? Well, I have a lot to say, actually. It's a really, really tough question. I know I'm for, you know, far along in the journey. However, I keep learning lots of things as I go along. I came across this really beautiful haiku that was written by a 17th century poet, Japanese poet. And I'm not going to say his name because I know I'm not going to say it right. But if anyone wants it, they can they can um, email me. Uh, it says, my barn having burned down, I can see the moon. And it speaks to the competing joys and sorrows of our situation. The barn has been destroyed. And then you see this moon. And so, you know, the barn represents your dreams that are dashed with this diagnosis of whatever it is that your child has. But then you look up and you see this moon and moons are so beautiful and they have, um, they have hope and they're, they have awe and they have beauty. And um, then you have to start to rebuild. You have to rebuild, you know, what you thought, you thought you were going to go one way with your child and then you get this diagnosis and you have to rebuild. You have to figure out, you know, what, what's your barn going to look like now? And so I would say, um, look for the moon, rebuild. And, um, also I wrote down a few things earlier and I just will say them and then maybe expound on them a little bit. One of the things is that really know that this trial does not define you. You your child is not their diagnosis. And for a long time, it will feel like that because that's all people are going to see. That's all people are going to talk about is this child that has this diagnosis. And, and your child is not autism. Your child is not Angelman syndrome. Your child is not Down syndrome. Your child is, in my situation, my child is Conrad. And he's a teenager. And he's not Angelman syndrome. He happens to have Angelman syndrome. But he, that's not the only thing that he is. He's so many more things than that. And so really get to a place where where you're not defining your life around around the diagnosis, where, you know, we have this challenge, this trial, and yes, it's pretty prevalent, but, but don't let it define everything about you. Um, and then find your village. And that can be, it can mean so many different things. It can mean a community of your neighbors. It could be your family. And I'm lucky I have, I have a few family members who, who really understand Conrad and I have a few family members who don't. And, you know, there's some that I can ask to watch him and, and others that I can't. And that, that is sad to me, but you kind of just have to, you have to move on from that and find friends, a community, people who, who want to help you, who who want to understand you. Maybe they won't understand everything about you, but yet they, they want to be part of your community. They want to be part of your life. And for me, 
I also am involved um, in some Angelman syndrome groups, and that is really helpful because I can ask some questions of parents who are further along in the journey. What did they do when their child did X? And they give me some suggestions. And it's so wonderful because uh, they're further along, like I said, and I can just put something out on Facebook in this Angelman group that I'm in, and I can get over 150 responses. And none of them are judging me. Some of them are just, I don't know, that never happened with my child, but I'm here for you if you have any other questions. So just knowing that someone else is out there that really, truly understands what I'm going through is really helpful. So I would suggest, you know, find, get involved in a group, get, get some friends, family around you, educate your family, educate your friends um, so that they know what you can and can't do. For example, um, Matt and I like to, to go out and do fun things. However, we can't really be spontaneous with that because we can't just leave Conrad. You know, the other night uh, we were asked to go out for dinner and it was an hour drive to go and meet some friends for dinner. And it was like a big deal trying to figure out, okay, well, we can't just leave Conrad. Our twins were home. They're 15 or, well, they're 16. But being an hour away from Conrad and having them watch him and they don't drive, you know, it's just a lot. So I was really nervous about that. And so I called three of my friends, once, once two were neighbors, and I just said, hey, we're going to leave our, we're going to leave Conrad with the twins and I'm going to give them your number. And is that okay? And they're like, oh, of course. Yeah, we'll even check in with them. So that is so helpful is having people on your side that don't necessarily have to come to my house, but yet are available if something comes up. Um, the other thing I would say is being, being okay with it being hard. And what I mean by that is, I think we talked about this before is, you know, sometimes you have to really sit in the hard stuff. You have to sit there and maybe you have to sit there for a month or two or even a year. So get yourself some help, you know, get to a point where like, this is really hard. I need help. I can't do this on my own. And whatever that looks like for you, if it's therapy, if it's taking a class, if it's just doing something for yourself. I, I just started a little business with a girlfriend and for me, that's my out um, of just because I can't work. I've tried having jobs outside of the home, but it's just really hard because Conrad gets sick a lot. And so, and my husband has a job where he travels quite a bit. So if my husband's out of town and I'm working and Conrad's sick, you can't really have anyone on call for that. So it's me, I'm the on-call person. So it's just easier for me to have like kind of a little business from home. So, and that is really helpful is if you have, if you're the stay at home person, if you're the caregiver, you have to take care of yourself. So if that's, um, maybe work, maybe it is, you could work outside the home. Maybe it's finding a hobby where it gets you out of the home for a couple hours. Maybe it's once a week, maybe it's every day of the week, but find something, not something with your, I mean, I guess it could be with your husband or your wife, but just something that you just love, something that is just for you. 
go and do that thing because as caregivers, we get overlooked because we do it all the time. It's just our life and we can get lost in the doing and taking care of everyone else that no one's taking care of us. You know, we get lost. So find something that you want to do that you like to do that gets you out and away from the house, whatever that is running, you know, whatever it is. Um, the other thing I would say is, is get educated yourself. Um, I think I talked a little bit about that, like, you know, educating others, but get involved in a community, read books. And sometimes it's not reading books just about the diagnosis of your own child. It's reading books about other parents who've gone through similar situations with, um, I read some really beautiful books of parents who, who had Down syndrome children or autistic children. And just their experiences were so helpful to me because we're all kind of going through this situation together and learning about their situations was really helpful because I didn't feel so alone. And then one of the other things that I thought of is actively looking for the good, actively looking for the good in your life because it's so hard and some days it's just going to be hard all day and you're not going to see the good. But if you can get to the end of the day and there's been one thing that's been good, that will help you. And, um, I also wanted to say that, um, so Conrad graduated this year and I went in for, um, his last IEP, which is an individualized education plan. And you do that with, with children who are, have special needs or children who need extra support in schools. And so you meet with the team. And so I was, I went in to meet with Conrad's team for the last time. And it was bittersweet because these, it's like a physical therapist, occupational therapist, and then two of the teachers that work with Conrad and a speech pathologist all work with Conrad and they write up, you know, what your goals are for that year and things. And, and then they try to meet the goals and then they give you a report card and, and let you know how, how your child's doing. And so I went in for his last IEP and we're in there. And so I have to back up. I'm a Canadian. So a lot of the things that happen in American schools is foreign to me, like a homecoming queen and king, a homecoming court. I We didn't do that where I grew up. Or a duke and duchess. I had no idea what any of that was. So we're sitting in the room and we're talking and, and uh, Jim, who was Conrad's teacher, he said, so I just want to let you know that um, we've chosen the Duke for this year and it's Conrad. And I said, what's a Duke? And they all laugh because they know I'm Canadian. And they say, oh, the students at the school who are in leadership, they nominate someone from our classroom to be the Duke. And it's someone who's graduating. And so I just started bawling my eyes out because the school had nominated my son to be the Duke. And um, it was just a huge thing because that means that Conrad was seen, that people knew who he was. It wasn't just, oh, we'll just pick a name out of a hat. They actually all voted and Conrad was picked. And so he got to be the Duke at the school and he was in the assembly and they crowned him and it was incredible. So look for the good because maybe your son or daughter will be crowned the Duke or the Duchess and they're seen, you know, they're seen and they're loved.
And so I think that is what I would tell someone. Hopefully that that is good and some good advice and um, that people can use going forward. That is excellent, Pam. It's so helpful. Thank you. How do you just, what would you say to younger parents that are just getting on this road when they're just faced with the reality of what you're living day to day? Mm-hmm. You know, I am really happy that I didn't know how hard it was going to be for, for how long, because I think that thought is really daunting um, to think I'm going to be doing this for the next however many years. That thought is really daunting. But when you break it down, um, I think, um, how do I answer this? Well, you love your child and you'll do anything for them. And I think the first thing I would do is, um, Oh, that's a hard question because like we're in it, you know, we've been doing it for, you know, it's 18. He wasn't diagnosed till he was 15 months, but like knowing 16 years, um, Oh, I wish I was smarter. <laughs> well, you're doing it, so you may not have <laughs> words to describe it. But I think one of the But main... you seem to be in this acceptance yeah. stage. It's the reality of our family. Mm-hmm. We're making it work. We're still going. But it are, it just is, you know, we 16 years is a long time to be on this road. It is. I know. I was just thinking about that this morning. He's 18. I mean, when he was little... I never imagined him being 18 yeah, or 20 just... or eight, you know, I think, um, let's see, what would I say? I think it's okay to be sad about it. I think it's okay because it's hard and you're going to have days where you don't want to do it. You don't want to get up. You don't want to give your son a bath because they've had an accident. In other words, they've gone to the bathroom in the bed and he's still 18. You, you want to go out with your friends and you can't because you still have an 18-year-old who can't watch themselves, you know? Um, so I would, I would tell someone, uh, oh gosh, it's hard because it's just, you don't really have the option of not doing it. So you kind of just have to do it. And I'm making it sound like it's not, I don't know. When you really know who your child is and um, that they're an eternal being and that, they're, that, that this body that they're in is just temporary, I think it gives you a little bit more hope. Because there are some days where it just sucks all day. It's just really, really, really hard. And, and then you're frustrated with them and they're frustrated with you because they're, you're frustrated with each other. And, um, um, I would also say, 
figure out respite right away. Get some people who you can leave your child with and leave your child and be okay leaving your child with someone else. And it is hard. It is so hard, especially when you, when your child doesn't talk because you leave them with someone and they don't know what they want. So I would say get a village right away. Get some people around you who want to know your child the way that you know them so that they can really help you. And if there's some kind of an emergency, you can leave them comfortably. I mean, I have a few people that I can do that with, and I don't know what I would do without them, honestly. It's a really good answer. It's a really complex question. Um, and I love your answer. It's not a nice, tidy, simple answer. It's really complicated. And mm -hmm. I love your answer, though. Um, it's And um, talk about um, some of Conrad's gifts and abilities. Conrad is one of the most, and I don't want to cry because I just don't, but it's hard to talk about without crying. I'll, I'll give you, I will tell you, um, I'll tell you a story about Conrad. So my, my husband's parents are divorced. So this is his stepdad. So his stepdad met this man on a business trip and they were on an airplane and they started talking about their grandkids as you do. And, and this friend, his name was Tom. He said, Oh, and we just, had um, a grandson, and he's just been diagnosed with Angelman syndrome. And my father-in-law said, I have a grandson with Angelman syndrome. And Tom said, no way, because it's so rare. And these two men sitting on a plane both have grandsons with Angelman syndrome. And so they talked about that and how unique that was. And they, um, Tom, the man with the, son, with the grandson with Angelman syndrome, he actually came into... Portland, and um, his grandson was born with Angelman, but he also had some more um, diagnoses where he was actually quite sick, and so they didn't actually expect him to live past the age of five, and so it was really a sad thing, and he ended up passing away. I think he was four when he died, and so Tom had come out, and he stopped by our house because he was going to take us out for dinner because they work for the same company. And so they were going to take us all out for dinner. And Tom stopped at our house and his grandson had passed away six months before, I believe. And for some reason, Conrad had been upstairs in our house, which is rare because he needs help going up and down the stairs. And he was coming down the stairs and he saw Tom, never saw Tom, never met him in his life, never saw a picture of him, didn't know anything about him. So we thought he sees Tom and Tom's sitting um, at our island, and we have a stool there, and he's kind of just sitting there. And Conrad, I was watching him come down the stairs to see if I needed to jump up and give him some help. And he walked down those stairs with no problem, walked down those stairs, walked right over to Tom, and gave him this huge hug. And Tom was so overcome that he went and sat on the couch with Conrad. And Conrad was only, I think he was probably eight, maybe seven or eight. And he just 
hung on to Tom. And then, and then it was over. And Conrad went and did something else. And Tom just looked up and he said, my grandson just gave me a hug. I said, that was my hug from my grandson. He said, I know it was my grandson because I had been thinking, I just wish I had one more hug from my grandson. So Conrad has this uncanny ability to to know when you're sad or unhappy. And he he just has this gift. It's beautiful. We were at a we were at this event one time and uh, it was for Special Olympics and the, it was the end of the event, and everyone had kind of left, and so there were all these chairs set up, and people were starting to take the chairs down. And there's this one woman who was left, and she was still sitting in one of the chairs. And I was like, where did Conrad go? Because he was right beside me. And he needs my hand to keep him up sometimes because he's unsteady. And I turned, and he was making his way. And it's no easy feat for him to go in between chairs like that it's just a lot of motor complex things for him and he was making his way and I was like where is he going and he made a beeline for this woman in between these chairs and sat on her lap and so I run over I'm "I'm so sorry because Conrad's all arms and limbs and he likes to pull hair and I was worried that he was gonna like pull her glasses off or pull her hair and he did the same thing he sat right on her lap and just gave her this big hug and her I went up and I said I'm so sorry and she said oh no that's just fine my daughter just passed away and your son knew that I needed a hug today from my daughter so he has this gift of just knowing or or sometimes if I'm sad or um he just knows he just knows and he'll come up and he'll just look at me and he has this really intense gaze where it's almost like he's like your spirits are talking to each other and he won't break your gaze. He's just like, no, we're locked in. And it it's like he's saying, Mom, I, I see you. I know you're hurting. It's okay. It's all right. So he has this gift. He also, he has a very good sense of humor. He understands humor and like complicated humor things we were up one night late because you know he doesn't sleep so I was up one night with him and I I don't know if this will be funny but um we were watching a show and it was like a teenager show because he was like maybe 10 at the time and the the show was about this girl who had to go and she was having an argument with this other person And so she was trying to annoy this other person. So she leaned back in her chair and the chair was squeaking. And then she was like filing her her nails at the same time. So it was this squeaky chair and then this annoying nail sound. And it was kind of, it was subtle at first. And then as the audience was watching, they're like, oh, that's funny. So they started laughing. But Conrad started laughing before the audience did because he could see, oh, he's, that girl is trying to annoy that woman. And that's funny. So he he just gets humor and he's just and he loves big. He loves really, really big. He loves his brothers. And like no one would ever leave our family 
feeling that Conrad didn't know that he was loved or that you knew that he loved you because he lets you know. So those are his gifts. He's also very determined. He, and very stubborn, very, very stubborn. He, I was, he, before, he didn't learn to walk until he was about four or five. And we were at this um, indoor kind of play place. And I had my mom with me and Conrad was just starting to walk independently. And my mom was in town and Conrad, I could see this from afar because my mom was across this gym with Conrad and I was somewhere else with Ben and uh, Conrad was sitting on the ground and my mom had her back to him and she had jeans on with pockets and I could see him sitting on the ground and he was looking at her pockets and he's like, oh, if I can reach her pockets, I can stand up without her helping me. So he grabbed onto her pockets and stood up and he was so happy because he figured out he wanted to stand up, mm -hmm. but there was no ledge for him. So he's like, well, I'll just use grandma's pockets to stand up. And we still tell this story because what kid thinks I could hold on to pockets and stand up? That's awesome. He didn't wait for her to turn around and like reach up and, oh, you know what he needs. He's like, pockets. I'm going to, I'm going to pull myself with her pockets. Luckily he didn't pull her pants down, but we just love that story because you could see him thinking, I'm going to stand. How am I going to do it? I'm going to get the pockets. You know, no one thinks pockets is a ledge, but he did. Sounds really interesting. Yeah. I sometimes think, you know, Heavenly Father's operating at 40,000 foot level or higher perspective and sees the whole plan and, and, and time being sort of neutral, the beginning and the end and the, what's going on right now. And as parents and in your situation, you're kind of at the ground level. You have that eternal perspective because of the gospel and but then sometimes there's little things that happen that just remind you of the 40,000-foot level when that hug, uh, those hugs um, and insights into who he really is and that experience when he was born that sort of gets you to the 40,000-foot level at times. You kind of know in your heart, but it's nice to have those tender mercies that come along to sort of remind you of the 40,000 foot level and this is part of a plan and who Connor or Conrad really is. I don't know if I've called him Connor in the podcast so far yet. Or I don't that's think the you first did. time. No. So he often gets called Connor because um, it's Connor Conrad. That's fine. But, but still you're kind of in the reality of the day to day, you know, f not without you have that eternal perspective. It doesn't take around, take away the day to day challenges of this situation. Um, talk about, you kind of, since you've been on this road, if I can ask this question that makes sense, what do you wish, you know a lot now, um, what do you wish you knew 15 years ago or 16 years ago that you know now? So my husband and I were talking about this last night and he, he said something interesting that I hadn't thought of his, from his perspective because He's the one that works and, you know, I'm, I work at home, I'm, you know, but he goes to work and he was saying that he wished he knew all the work that I did. And I did it alone because he just wasn't around like all the doctor's appointments 
figuring out healthcare, figuring out school, figuring out all those things. So he's like, I wish I'd known that we had to do all of those things before we had to do them. Like that there was a list of those things because you're not given a list of those things. The other thing he said is, um, and that we both agree on is, um, how it, how it affected our family dynamic Mm -hmm. because so I'm going to cry again. Um, dang it. Um, so Conrad just graduated from high school, which was awesome. It was really cool. It was, it was a COVID, it was a COVID, uh, graduation. And, um, I got permission from the school where a whole family could walk up with Conrad and get his diploma because, and then walk back down. And I don't think he would have walked up there by himself anyway, because it was a family affair and everyone was crying and it was just a really cool thing. And he knew it was his graduation and he does not wear hats. So the day that the graduation came, he was like, yeah, you can put that robe on. You can even put the hat on. He wore it all the way in the car to the grad. And then as soon as it was over, he took it off. But he was just like, I'm graduating. He knew that he was graduating. But there's just, there's really sad moments that that you're not prepared for. And I remember in one of our wards, when Conrad was diagnosed, this woman who has a, who had an adult child with Down syndrome. And she... She she had Down syndrome um, severe enough that she would always have to live in a home or with her parents. She couldn't go live on her own as as some kids with Down syndrome do. But I remember her telling me that you will mourn more times than you ever imagine. Like you get the diagnosis and you mourn. And that's not it. You mourn when other kids walk and yours doesn't. You mourn when other kids talk and yours doesn't. You mourn when you your kid gets a driver's license and your kid doesn't. You mourn when your kid graduates and moves on to college and then your kid's not going to. So those are, and, you know, so I've just had this mourning period of my son's graduated and you know, now what, like no one's asked, Oh, what college is Conrad going to go to? Is your son going to serve a mission? Is, you know, what, what's is he, he gonna, dating? Yeah. Is he dating? You know, he doesn't have, you know, he's had thousands and well, millions of kisses, but he doesn't, he's hasn't had his first kiss. He hasn't had his first date, you know? So those are sad moments. And, and, you know, Conrad doesn't have to do that in this life, but it doesn't make it any less sad you know, to, to not see those things. But we had, so my, my husband has a brother who also has four kids and they live in Utah and they had come up to, to, for a little trip and they came to Utah or came to Oregon and, um, the boys, their boys came over to our house and I didn't know that they were coming and it was fine. They show up at the house and they all, you know, they all run in the house and it's all exciting and Conrad and I are downstairs and watching TV and, and they all come in, they say hi to Conrad and then they all go upstairs because that's where the Xbox is and they all want to do some Xbox thing. And I just burst into tears 
because I just thought, oh, Conrad can't do that. Like he's not one of the, he's one of the eight because there's, you know, there's eight of them, but he's not one of them. And it just, it sucked. Sucks. Yeah, it sucks. You know, and they love Conrad. They love him. It's just, you know, you you just you miss out on like that. Oh, all the all the eight are gonna do. They're gonna all go get tacos. Well, no, it's seven. Seven go do it. Conrad's behind, and Conrad's he's actually really aware of that loss often that he's not included and it's a it's a hard place to be because um since we've been here we've been staying with my father-in-law with conrad and then my other kids are down in alpine with their cousins because they all want to be together of course they do but conrad's not in that you know and i'm you know, and I go through this whole thing of, well, that sucks. And why, it's almost like you want someone else to be going, to be sacrificing as much as you are for your child. But I'm not going to ask them, Sweet. my brother and sister-in-law, oh, can Conrad come and stay with you? And can you stay up with him if he's not asleep? You know what I mean? But oh. you just feel that, you feel that loss so strongly it's and that never goes away it's always hard it's always always hard and last night we we were went over to my family's house and they have a pool and conrad just didn't want to get in the pool and my husband was really tired and we just we just sold our house and so we had all this real estate stuff paperwork that we had to do and it was time sensitive and so matt he said um why don't we just go? Cause I could see Matt, he was tired and he was stressed. So we went and it was the three of us and we left. And I just thought, oh. and you know, the family was sad that we were leaving and, and I was sad. I cried all the way home. Cause I just thought, Oh, this just really sucks. You know, because we're, we're, we're part of the family, but there's this, always this thing that, complicates yeah it just complicates it and it and it you know and it's complicated because you you're also hurt because you know the family is really respectful of our needs at the same time i feel like they don't really get it they don't really know how hard that is and and that also hurts because I mean, I don't exactly know what I want them to do because they can't do what I do. It's not like they're going to take on Conrad. But at the same time, it's like, well, you guys stay. Let's figure this out. Matt can go. We'll drive you home, which was offered. But I just felt like Matt's tired. He's got all this stuff to do. And what if Conrad decides he doesn't want to sleep? And Matt has all this stuff that he, like, I couldn't do the stuff he needed to do because he also had to do some work stuff. So I have to be with him. You know, so it's just this, it's just hard. It's just hard. And I'm kind of in this space of, you know, because some people say, and some family members even say, well, just leave Conrad behind and you go and enjoy and whatever. And I'm like, but that's not, 
I mean, we have done that. And I hate, I hated every second of it, thinking about, oh, Conrad's missing out again because he misses out on so much. You know, it's just, it's really just, it's yucky and messy. And, but then when we're all together, it's really fun. And Conrad's right there in the mix of it. And so it's just, you know, but I'm just constantly reminded when we're with family, how different it is, how, well, we can't do that because of Conrad or we can't, you know, Conrad can't do that. And then I feel like, well, can we do something that Conrad can do? Like, why does he always have to be left out? It just feels like it's always about the able-bodied, you know? And um, it's, you know, I don't know. It's just hard also because um, the houses that we're at aren't really set up for Conrad. So um, that's another reminder you know, this world is not set up for people with disabilities. It's not. They're, they're just overlooked so often. And, uh, and that's another hard reminder. Like, well, we can't do that because Conrad can't do that. So I feel sad for my kids a lot because there's certain things that, well, guys, we can't do that because of Conrad. I remember having this long heart-to-heart with my oldest son when he was graduating high school. And I said, Ben, you just need to go and you just need to go do some things, just enjoy your life and some things that you've missed out on because of Conrad. And he just said, Mom, I don't I don't feel like I've left out. I've been left out. That's cool. Just and I thought, you, you smart <laughs> child. You know, but but also, I mean... They've gotten to do fun things, but I just, I really think that unless we're with people who are doing things that our family haven't done, they don't really think they're missing out. That's a really honest segment, Pam, and we're coming into this podcast and give you a chance to share some closing thoughts. But I love that segment because it's just painful and it's honest. And I think we have to, I just I think it's healing and helpful to just be honest yeah. of how difficult this road is. And that mother with the Down's child, that just, even though it's painful to hear that and know that's part of your path, I think it's it's the reality of your situation. And and there, and me without a child, you know, with a disability, it, there's no way I can understand. I. I and I worry that I would offer simple platitudes like this experience will bring your family together. Your your sons will have perspectives that will help them, and that may be all true. And he's a, it. I don't. I wouldn't want to say anything to you that would sort of diminish the comp- complexity of your situation. And you're recognizing that people are doing the best they can, but it's just the reality is, it's a really lonely road. And I. I think the best thing that I can do if I, as your friend or as a family member is just acknowledge how painful it is. And, and yeah, we're aware, you're, people are aware of Conrad to some extent and, and what he's going through, but the parents, and you particularly being the mom, that's been sort of on the front lines for a couple decades now. You know, it's just it's one of the most unique, difficult roads. And even though you have the understanding of the plan of salvation, you can see at the 40,000 foot level, 
I'm glad you say it sucks because it just sucks. And if I don't sort of validate the suckiness of it at times as your friend, then I think I'm adding to your burden. It's just incredibly complex and there's no way I can really know what it's like to be totally exhausted at two in the morning and having to deal with things that you wouldn't usually deal with with a teenage young man and and the unknown of his future. It's not like you know at 25 he graduates and he goes on and leaves the home and we have these kids, you know, in our home that are moving on in life and moving out of the home and getting married and our role, we kind of know our role is changing and that can be a little hard, but it's nothing like you know, this the road you face and the unknowns, there's no sort of light at the end of the tunnel exactly how the end game plays out in this. And so your mind go that may go that direction, but it's just an incredibly difficult road. And uh, so I think of my baptism covenants to mourn, bear, and comfort. And I, and I just think the best thing I can do is just sit with you and your story and your pain and be willing to listen and understand. And, and that doesn't fix anything. There's something healing about just sitting with people and their pain and the complexities of their situation without offering any solutions that sometimes in my experience is the most is the most helpful um any f- final thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners you've been a great guest pam with oh, an awesome you. heart and i wish we had a you know maybe i just sense that even though i kind of offered this as a platitude that ben and george and wilson you know, your th- other three sons, paydays for you is when you see the kind of, you know, men that they are and the life experiences that they've had and the reality and their sensitivity to people on the margins that their future spouses will be attracted to them because of their kind, compassionate heart, the kind of fathers they'll be, the kind of grandfathers they'll be one day. The legacy of Conrad in your family and the principles and lessons that he's taught will bless your posterity for decades and for generations because of who he is and and sort of you're laying it all on the altar to support this kid and the lessons you're teaching your, the rest of your family members. Um, to me, those are paydays. You would, you know, I don't want to just say that's a simple platitude that everything's wonderful now because it's incredibly complex, but I love what you said that Ben said. Um, What a compliment to you and your family that that's the way Ben felt. Um, And so you can tell the impact for good on your sons and on the community that you're influencing. So thank you for that. And if we could have you on the podcast every 10 years for the next, (laughs) you know, 40 years, (laughs) I would guess you've got some wonderful stories you tell every five or ten years, um, yeah. including the impact on your own grandkids and your as your family posterity grows mm-hmm. um, for good and the contributions, the gifts that Conrad continues to give to other people, the hugs, his relationship with his future nieces and nephews, that will be, I think, a really wonderful part of your family story. Yeah. Um, but that's a ways down the road. Any other thoughts you'd like to share with our listeners? Hmm. Um, I think 
we need to have more celebration of diversity. You know, more celebration of people that look different than us, talk different than us, don't talk. Don't talk. Don't walk, you know. Um, and I, I just appreciate this platform so much. And you're such a good listener. And, and I think that is huge for people is just to sit in their pain. And I have, I have a few really good friends that can sit in the pain. And it's, it's offering someone solutions when they're in pain doesn't help. You just kind of just need to, yeah, this sucks. I hear you. And, and let them, let it suck. Because sometimes all you need to do is just say, this sucks. And for someone to say, it really does. For, for them to honor your feelings and, and to, you know, because otherwise it just pushes it away. And you really need to, you need, sometimes you just need to sit in it and go, I know this feeling. I don't think I'm going to sit here too long, but I think I need to sit here for a little bit and then get out of it. Because I think if you don't honor the feelings and you push them aside, it just makes it worse later on. You really need to honor those feelings and and figure out, you know, why you're feeling that way or, you know, just sit in it and then you can get out. But, um, yeah, my my kids are, they're lucky. They're lucky to have Conrad. I, um, I don't know all the things that they have learned yet, but I, you know, he certainly knows that we love him because we know that he loves us and he lets us know every day. He's, he's pretty incredible and we're lucky to have it him for sure. I don't, someone asked me if I would do it again, if I knew that our son would have Angelman. I don't know if I can answer that question because if I knew, I don't know. It's how can anyone answer that question? Really? I have a friend who had two kids with autism and she said, I wouldn't do it. And I loved how honest she was. Like there was no hesitation. She's like, Nope, I wouldn't do it. I would have no kids (laughs) if I knew that they were going to be autistic because it's just hard. You know, but yeah, we just need, we need more people who are willing to sit in our pain and people who are willing to come up to us like a little kid and say, well, what, what's going on here with this? And for us to respond in a way that's, yeah, he is different. And let me tell you why, or let me tell you what he can do and people not to be afraid to just be interested in your child. I have one darling friend. She's not a member of our church and she loves Conrad. And when Conrad sees her, he's like, there's Sherry. She's going to talk to me. She just talks away to him. Just talks away, just whatever. And he, he doesn't answer, but he does answer because he'll like touch her hand or he'll just, he laughs and he loves that someone's paying attention to him where he's just not in a room being ignored because Conrad understands what's going on around him. He understands that, you know, when there's upset, he understands that. When there's joy, he understands that. He reacts to all of that. So we need more people who are just willing to 
get over themselves, I guess, and just sit and get to know Conrad. You know, I have some people in my life who ignore him. They'll be in a room full of people and they'll ignore him. And that hurts when they will talk to everyone else but him. He knows. He knows. And I'm sure it hurts him because he's being ignored. I mean, blatantly ignored. So we just need more, you know, just more love and more, you know, if you're uncomfortable with something, figure out why you're uncomfortable. And maybe it's just you need to ask a question because people, we, we often put things in a box, you know, okay, well, that kid's autistic or that person is whatever because we need to understand our, our, you know, we need to narrate our world and figure out how to react to certain things. And uh, I think if we just ask more questions and are just more willing to, you know, get out of that uncomfortable place and sit with someone, get to know them. Because Conrad will let you know right away if you're one of his people and pretty much everyone are part of his people he just loves people i love that what a great way to conclude this podcast i'm um pam thanks for being on the podcast and sharing this story this is a story that the principles you're sharing apply to all many situations you know not just if somebody has somebody in their circle with Angelman syndrome, but just how we can come together as the same human family. I'm remembering, and I put this in the book that is coming out in September, I I remember thinking about the home teaching program, and in my mind I renamed that program <laughs> the home listening program because I thought I could do better good by going in and actually listening. And I love your point about asking questions. I think part of good listening is asking questions. So I invite our listeners, Pam and I both, that it's not called home teaching or visiting teaching anymore. It's called ministering. But I think approaching that from a perspective of of listening um, and really getting to know our families, asking questions, open-ended questions that aren't yes and no. And I'm not perfect at that. but I think that's the way we get to know people and understand what's going on in their lives. And if we just go in and teach and live a, leave a thought, we may really never understand the needs of the family and develop the kind of connection that we need to develop to truly minister, to bear more and comfort. So this is Richard Osler with my guest, Pam Lyman, signing off from another episode of Listen, Learn, and Love. <laughs>